Welcome to Room for Growth. A Willow Tree podcast about growth marketing hosted by Billy Lowen and me, Billy Fisher. Whether you're an industry expert or just getting started, there's plenty of room to grow. Share this episode with your favorite coworker, follow us wherever you enjoy podcasts, and reach out if you'd like to join the show. You ready, Billy? I'm ready, Billy. Let's go. Let's f***ing grow. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Room for Growth. Today, you are stuck with just Billy with a Y, but uh, thanks for joining. I'm really excited about the guest that we have on today, Lynn Blashford, who is the Chief Marketing Officer at White Castle. And I live in Columbus, Ohio, and I feel like we take White Castle for granted because it's the home of uh, the headquarters of White Castle, and there are generally a decent amount of White Castle locations located around us. But when I started to become more aware of uh, their geographic outreach and, and locations, I learned that not every state has a White Castle. And it also turns out that people are nuts for White Castle. And so I'm excited to ask Lynn uh, some questions around how the heck they have built this cult brand over, over the past few years. Uh, and when I say past few years, it's one of the oldest chains in America literally the first burger chain in America. And I think there's uh, maybe some things we'll ask Lynn about in terms of the history. It's pretty incredible. But um, it got me thinking what it takes to build a cult-like brand. And so many, that's almost become a buzzword that we say and we, we aspire to do it. It's kind of like that go viral aspiration that was popular in marketing five, 10 years ago. And so many brands try to do this. When we ask our guest Billy's favorite question, the opportunity to kind of which she says, talk positive trash, shout out to a brand that they love. Often, people point towards a cult-like brand. Nike has been, I think, the most common brand that we have had mentioned. And so there's certainly brands like Nike and Disney that have historically just been able to do this. I think a lot of people would forget a White Castle where they, have, they opened a location on the West Coast and there were people camping for days to get into the White Castle. People have their Valentine's Day dinner at White Castle. They have officiated weddings at White Castle. And so um, really cool. I was also thinking about maybe new brands. A lot of the brands that we start to think about cult-like, it's a mix of brands that are just really popular right now. And you wonder, will they stand the test of time to become a cult-like brand. Chick-fil-A is, is one that jumps out at me where it's currently certainly very popular. Is it a cult-like brand? I don't know. I'd be curious what you all think. And, and so maybe when we post this episode on LinkedIn, I would love to hear some comments if, if you're a listener of what cult-like brands I'm not thinking of. Abby, our producer of the podcast, mentioned some new ones. Glossier, which I purchased some Glossier for my daughter uh, for Christmas last year. So certainly that tells me it's cult-like. So in today's environment, is cult-like also equal trendy because of TikTok is, a, is something that, that I wonder. But to build a true cult-like brand that stands this test of time and generates just true brand love where people are wearing the shirts, sleeping overnight to taste or test a new product or get their hands on a new product, to me, that starts to flirt with uh, a cult-like brand experience. And April, one of our guests, previous guests from CKE, had referenced a book, Cultish, that she was reading and gets into to really this mindset. I've not had the chance to read that, but certainly something that I want to ask uh, Lynn about. And then also Lynn and, and the White Castle team have gone on a journey over the past few years that I think so many in marketing, whether you're in QSR, retail, or whatever, have had to go through, which is 
taking their current tech stack, which was pretty good for a period of time, but as customers' expectations, consumer expectations have changed rapidly, they had to go through the path of making some changes and some adjustments on what they use for customer engagement, what they use for customer loyalty, because the game has continued to change and the bar keeps going up and up and up. And so, and of course, technology uh, continues to advance. So they've experienced some of that over the past few years and I think are in the midst of that that we can ask Lynn about. So really excited to share uh, Lynn Blashford, who's the chief marketing officer at White Castle with you today and start to talk a little bit about what it takes to, to build and maintain a cult brand. Okay, so today's guest is Lynn Blashford, who is the CMO of White Castle. For the few who didn't know, White Castle is a family-owned 100-year-old chain credited as being the first fast food chain in the country. They have 350-plus locations and are headquartered in Columbus, Ohio, where I'm at. Lynn is a talented marketer and a beloved leader at White Castle. And over the last 11 years, she has helped digitize the historic and infamous White Castle brand. Lynn, welcome to Room for Growth. Thanks for joining us. Hi, Billy. It's nice to see you. I've got to update you on some of those uh, those bios. Yeah. White Castle is now 101 <laughs> because we started in 1921, and we're the first fast food hamburger chain. First fast food hamburger. What, do you have yes. any idea what the first fast food chain was? Well, actually, A&W has been around a little longer. It has a root beer stand. Yeah. So. I love fast food because it's like these things that it's something that we all experience. Almost everybody has grown up and has some special memory of going to, you know, somewhere that location with with their grandfather or, or whatever. So what a fun industry to, to work in. You've worked in the, the food space for a long time. I'm curious, you know, how did you get started in this industry and and uh, and what made you stay? Oh, my goodness. So, yeah, we're talking over 30 years ago. I think some of what it was was I actually started working in restaurants, you know, in college. Food is fun. You know, yeah. as a college student, it allowed you to eat free. So that might have been the the path down the career that began in the restaurant industry then on the corporate side. I think the other piece that really interested me too in going, I went to the University of Kentucky and a lot of the classes that really intrigued me were those around consumer behavior. And to this day, you know, you you utilize that observation of humanity in everything we do as a marketer. Mm -hmm. So uh the combination of food and consumer behavior just led me to mostly restaurants, retail, and some CPG. Awesome. And naturally, you had to take your Kentucky blue and then go to a, a brand that has that that blue or, or close to Kentucky <laughs> blue in it. So that's convenient. Yes. Yeah, so my color, my wardrobe color <laughs> was utilized that way. Awesome. And in your role as chief marketing officer, you know, when I think about White Castle, one of the things I admire about White Castle is you guys seem to always be pushing the envelope and leaning into things that sometimes might feel risky or that are just really kind of new and innovative. You know, some examples that pop up in my head is Flippy the robot. A couple years ago, this has maybe become more normal now, but you guys were the first to jump on and, and start innovating around, you know, robotics within the store to help with some staffing shortages. And I saw you speak one time on a partnership with Wu-Tang. 
And uh, this is, you know, well before the Travis Scott burger and stuff like that. You guys were doing partnerships with with folks like Wu-Tang. So it's that kind of lean in. I think you guys are a, a little bit ahead and maybe don't always get the, the credit that is deserved for being this really, really innovative brand because some of the, the big, big national chains steal the, the limelight. What's the philosophy? How do you guys approach, you know, taking on risks and how do you evaluate some of these things? You know, I think it goes back to the lineage for White Castle and being an innovator, literally in pioneering an industry and being family owned. There was an element of some innovation that was occurring throughout the decades, moving 35 years ago, taking our product into grocery, you know, was innovative when we went out to other manufacturers to say, can you do this and help us? We're seeing people come into our restaurants and pack up cases of slider and taking them across country. We think it would be great to get, you know, move, go to grocery so that people could buy sliders from coast to coast. Yeah. And they turned down Bill Ingram, who was our third president. And so we decided to do it ourselves. And we started manufacturing, you know, we manufacture our own meat patties, our own buns. We make our own frozen food sliders, just like we cook them in the castle that go into the freezer section. Wow. And I think that innovative spirit is carried through to Lisa Ingram, who's our current president and CEO and the great granddaughter of the founder. Being a family owned company, it allows you to move. I should say the size that we are too. We can be pretty agile and move pretty quick. So when we think about like impossible foods and taking, bringing impossible foods, the slider in with Wu-Tang Clan as our mm -hmm. spokespeople and Miso Robotics, because we we're, we have a very flat organization. So it, there's not a lot of tiers that we have to go through for decision making. You know, the leadership in the company, we're all very close. We're not siloed at all. So we can make decisions pretty quick. So we found that partners enjoy working with us because of that. And every business venture we look at as a true partnership, that's the other piece too. Let's go into this with shared learning and how do we make each other better? Even if Miso Robotics is going to take their, you know, their equipment to other brands or impossible sure. then launches with bigger brands than us. Right. But we look for ways that being first can actually give you some edge because then every time they talk about you in the press with using impossible or Miso Robotics as an example, they'll go, you know, they'll talk about us as being one of the first to partner with them. Yeah, that's, that's am amazing. A lot of lessons in there. And as I was talking in the intro, you know, I take it for granted because I, you know, I'm, I live within probably, I could be within a five minute, five, 10 minutes of a, a White Castle at any time here in Ohio. So I often forget about the packaged goods product that, you know, for folks in maybe uh, different areas of the country that don't have a White Castle location, that's their only, only way. And I think a lot of brands take the licensing approach where they'll, you know, somebody else will handle that product. But that's part of your responsibilities is you're not just yes. marketing um, a QSR brand, you are marketing a, a CPG brand at the same time. That's, that's got to bring some challenges, I would think. It brings challenges, but a lot of benefits because it gives us the, the cross learning of, you know, when our restaurant customers, when are they buying the retail product to stock in their freezer and then vice versa, the retail customers, many of which have had started their experience maybe with a, a castle visit and the memories they have and that taste, which is so distinctive that, that they now enjoy wherever they're at. Yeah. So there's some benefits to the, the crossover of the business. So Lynn, a lot of our listeners are niche growth marketers who really are focused on CRM messaging, uh, CDP. And so I always like to try to kind of wire in the content of our podcast to kind of help 
solve some of the problems and challenges that they're dealing with every day. And so I want to talk a little bit about loyalty and, and how you think about the overall topic of loyalty, something we talk a lot about. But before I get there, let's talk about a cult brand. You know, I was mentioning in the intro, you know, when you guys open a new store and new markets, people, it's like almost hard to believe. People are like staying the night, waiting in lines forever. It's insane. It's just, you know, the true signs of a cult brand. What do you think are the biggest differences between like what makes a, a cult brand, which I would put White Castle in that category versus, you know, just kind of a, uh, some, a fad? When we think of a cult-like brand, you know, for us, we look at it as probably defined more from the dedicated, devoted, passionate cravers we have around the brand. And we might even shy away from the terminology around cult because that can have an indication that it's a narrow appeal or a narrow niche of a consumer. So the cult likeness of it is something that we attach to. And we're so grateful for those people who have that devotion for our product and the brand. But at the same time, we want to make sure it's broad enough appealing that you know we can have a good business model around the brand. The other benefit, I think, of some of the, the cult-likeness, just <laughs> kind of playing off your terminology, is the fact that other people become very yeah. curious because they, they're interested is what makes these cravers <laughs> so crazy about you know staying in, in line for four hours. Our location in Orlando is still on the weekend, maybe hours wait as people just can't wait to get in there and satisfy their crave because the product is so distinguishable too. And there's really nothing else yeah. like it in the market. So I think we benefit from that. And we benefit from the generations who have passed yep. down that love of the brand. Like you said, being 101 years around, they're from generation to generation. They they share that passion within families and households. Yeah, that's awesome. I guess the, the word cult does have a, a little bit of a negative tone to it. And, and so just insanely loyal would be a, a kind of the the way that I think about it. And I know you think about loyalty programs all the time. And for your cravers, you're always working on delivering a, a great loyalty program for them. Generally, at, at a high level, you know, I, I think this is a big trend right now where I continue to read and hear. And we see things in the news about Duncan had a, a challenging loyalty launch. And so I think this is there's a lot of a lot of this going on in the marketing space right now. So generally, when, when somebody's getting started on building a loyalty program, are there some core elements that you think about that make up a good loyalty program? I think you have to start with what your customers you know, want. What are they looking for? What is this reciprocal relationship that's going to occur so that they understand there's some value return? I think at the core for us, it's really started with the strategy. What are what are the components that we want to be able to provide value to those who sign up for loyalty? We've got 101 years of loyalty, actually, with many customers. This was just taking it in some ways to a more digital mobile experience. And you can't provide value to them, then they're not going to utilize a, a loyalty program at all. So for us, it started with what's the strategy? What do we want to kind of value do we want to provide to our customers? Yeah. And what, what do you think it is that makes the Cravers so unique? I was mentioning just like amazing, the not only the Arizona store opening, but people do Valentine's Day dinner at, uh, at a White Castle or have their wedding at a White Castle. So these 
cravers have a little bit of a unique element to them. What do you think makes your consumers so unique at White Castle? I think part of it has been our team members over the years. We've had some of the lowest turnover in the restaurant industry. You know, they've come to know their local White Castle as a place where they're familiar with the team members that work there and vice versa. Uh, And they've celebrated moments through their generations and through the decades from growing up to wherever they're at in life now, or maybe it was, you know, late night uh, in college somewhere or after some late night fun that they were having. And those are moments that they remember. And we know when things stick in, in the memory, it just can manifest itself in something that you want to go back to again and again. And when you couple that with a product, not to be too repetitive, but when you couple that with a product that is really distinctive in the taste, then I think it's a magic combination for us. Yeah, that's awesome. So when you guys are are looking at your loyalty program and the tactics that you're kind of investing in and trial and error, what are some of the the things that you see are the biggest indicators and and how are you measuring success of a, of a loyalty program? So I want to be really forthcoming and say we've had some trial and error in our loyalty program. And as we've moved, so we've had online ordering, we've had other components of CRM, you know, for a long, long time, uh, moving to an actual loyalty platform about three years ago, we started with an organization actually that was out of New Zealand. And we did that at the time because we did not want to be like every other chain that was launching loyalty. We were really looking for something that was going to be different, distinctive. Uh, you know, how do we take it? Let's look five years beyond. Let's look a few years beyond and not do just a traditional points program, which felt just so transactional in nature. And so one of our learning was who knew a pandemic would come along and our partner in New Zealand struggled. I mean, a small island, uh, lost developers, could not hire. Uh, they could not travel to us, you know, in order to have strategy meetings, which, you know, the occasional in-persons really, you really benefit from from that kind of work. And and we're going to be moving away from that partner. We've done a search recently and, and I know Willowtree is one of our partners and has given us advice along the way. So. I want to let people know we don't, you know, we don't get everything right all the time. But I think it's important that you take away and you learn from that. And then as you move forward, you know, you just carry that forward and say, how do we do it better? Over the last three years, you know, consumers now expect some visibility to seeing how they are transacting with you. And what is that reward at the end of a path forward in some ways? So they want to see what kind of progress they're making. The landscape has changed. So we're going to reevaluate what is the best way to relaunch a loyalty program yeah. in 2023. Good. Thanks for sharing. And yeah, I, you and I've talked about this before, the the pandemic. <laughs> so, you know, technology has been growing at a, at a rate that's been pretty wild. And, um, you know, we've both been able to be a part of this. It's kind of, it's fun, it's challenging, and it's crazy all at the same time. And then the pandemic happened and there was this period of scary where we're like, oh, no, in terms, you know, naturally, we're all worried about our families and the world. And then the, the business elements that in the business space were like, hey, what's going to happen? Well, all of a sudden, after that kind of scary period where, you know, we're trying to move towards some level of normalcy, um, the whole entire consumer expectation and the landscape of, of consumers that are using delivery and drive through and pick up at a rate like we had never seen before was wild. And it just introduced 
this consumer behavior change out of nowhere. And in the midst of that, um, I call it like an arms, a digital arms race where restaurants and chains are investing <laughs> like crazy in these experiences. And so the bar just continues to go up. So I think a lot of brands are, are sharing in some of your learnings. And that, that's why I think this like, okay, looking forward to 2023, what should our loyalty program be is, is something that I'm hearing uh, and reading about uh, a lot. It's a, it's a really big challenge. At the heart of that, is technology, as you mentioned, you know, and and so this only makes it even more complicated. It's not just about creating great ideas and great programs. It's the technology and the the reliability behind that. What's that? If you don't mind sharing that journey, been like for y'all over the the past few years at White Castle, and and how you mature the the technical capabilities that you deliver to consumers. Where our loyalty program might have had some missteps, I feel like we were we really benefited from the fact that marketing operations, our our technology team here at White Castle, all work so yeah. closely together that pre-pandemic, I mean, we've had online ordering for right. about eight years. Um, we've had a mobile app for years. We were with every delivery partner pre-pandemic, so the infrastructure was set there. Uh, so that when the consumer did start to turn to a more digital experience or drive-through only experience, but you know we were able to keep our drive-throughs open, we were well ahead of the game. So I credit our team here internally for knowing that this was a path that we were getting ready for the future. We had no idea it was going to accelerate to yeah. the amount of you know business that it did, but we were ready. Uh, so that was a big win for us. As we look forward to 2023, I think some of it's going to be some around our a relaunch or refresh of our loyalty program in a way of what we're going to offer. And I really rely upon, I'm going to call out our Susan <laughs> Carroll Bozer, our head of technology here. We work hand in hand every day. And she, we start with the strategy. What do we want to achieve? What's the customer experience we're looking for holistically, whether it be online, offline, or wherever they're at. And then it's her team, she and her team, who really do a great job of networking within multiple industries and coming back with what's the technology solution. As a marketer, I will not profess to be the technical expert in any ways, but we partner internally with those that are. And I think that's where we've gotten to where we've gotten so far. Yeah, that's that's awesome. That's a, a whole nother topic for another podcast of how IT and marketing <laughs> should and can work together. Because I think gone are the days where you can get away with kind of siloed organizations and um, and at oh, least delivering yeah. something. Anybody who is working like that is 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 going to be yeah. well behind. I want to say too that our leader um, Lisa Ingram, you know, she's a big believer in technology as being something that can help propel us uh, into the future. And she's been a great advocate for what we're doing in marketing on the technology side and in the operations, the, the structure yeah. of the restaurant. So she's out there talking about innovation because it's been her, her lineage yeah. <laughs> to continue yeah, that path. You know, so as um, you've, you've talked a little bit about loyalty and um, I even saw that in that kind of grouping of cool stuff that you guys are always willing to try. There was a beer pairing, uh, you know, that, that you did recently with, uh, with a craft brewer, um, a great IPA to pair with your sliders. What can we expect from White Castle? Any cool things that, that you have coming up that you're really excited about? 
I think we're excited about how we continue to, those are some licensed products that Mm -hmm. you've mentioned. That was, again, another strategy that we embarked upon several years ago to say what other brands are out there, what manufacturers, the Puma sneaker launch that we did was a whole new world that we love. And to your point about the IPA brewer group called Evil Genius, we were purposeful in finding other industries that are also, we'll yeah. call it cult-like, <laughs> the sneakerhead world. And I and they embrace that name, so I <laughs> we have permission to say it. But what it does is it brings our brand to other passionate consumers in other industries. We did a DGK skateboard and skatewear. Again, a whole other consumer group that is really passionate about what they do, the sport they have. So I think for us, we're always looking for other similar passionate bands. Awesome. Well, you know, Lynn, I could talk to you forever about uh, some of these fun, fun marketing programs. We always like to, to leave our guests with a few just fun questions that are less kind of dialed into their day to day. Yeah, uh, no, no worries. But I'm curious, we've talked so much about loyalty. Do you have a favorite loyalty program of a brand that you interact with that um, you're just like, man, this is I always talk about Delta. Delta Airlines is my go-to one that I just love and nobody could ever convince me otherwise. Are there any of those for you? <laughs> you know, I might be classified as a little more of a brand switcher. I do like to shop nice. around, but using your Delta example, I kind of go to the other extreme because I don't fly enough, for example. But when I think about what are the products or the brands that I use most frequently, it's grocery. So when you think about they were some of the very first loyalty programs, the grocery retailers, and that was something in my shopping cart weekly, I could see the benefit of lower price structures. And they've gotten so good at personalizing offers to you, whether it be in the digital format or even still to this day, you know, they'll mail, we see you shop this product. Here's some free ones for you. So I think in some ways that helps, especially in these inflationary times. I think I'm going to rely on my grocery retailer loyalty programs. That's a great example because I've read some stats that you know, some of the leading grocery chains are seeing like 90 some percent of purchases being loyalty users, which is unbelievable. And I think it's because they've a, done such a good job at creating a benefit to sign up. Like you almost have to be crazy if you're shopping at a, at, a, at a certain chain to not sign up for their program. And then you mentioned it, personalization is a thing that uh, we're talking a lot about. And that's like much more than high LIN. That's no longer going to cut it. They need to know if you're gluten-free, uh, if you have certain prep brand preferences, and that's the the new new stage of um, customer expectations. And that yeah. requires a lot of investments on really great technical platforms in order to deliver that level of personalization. Yeah. So love that. What about what's the best or potentially worst? Um, you've worked with some great leaders, but best or potentially worst career advice that you've received that you, you often think about and hold on to? Some of the best I received advice that I've received was to listen first. I think I've used that in my career. Early on, you probably want to sort of make a name for yourself and really talk up and how can I impress my boss young in my career? And I had a boss at one time that said, you know, stop and listen more and hold, you know, your thoughts until you've really formulated them. And then when you speak, I feel like it's the old (laughs) H&R block. People will listen. 
So I've carried that through because not only to your team members, your department, it's really about the customer. So it's that listening first from the customer perspective, the consumer that I've just carried through uh, in some ways. And it's curating all that information together that you get, whether it's listening to your data team, listening to uh, the customer service group. And I think as marketers, we have to curate that and filter it in a way that helps us with our strategy and where we're going. Yeah. That's awesome. I'm I'm always wired to like move quickly. And so I have to remind that myself sometimes of like, okay, let's pause and process this information before because I always just want to like, oh, yeah. that's a really good nugget. Let's go. And <laughs> and so, I'm with you. You have to stop yourself sometimes. And then Billy, you know, my my co-host Billy is not joining us today, but uh, she always has this question that we laugh about. She calls it, we like to invite our guests to talk positive trash about a brand they love. So uh somebody that's doing something really interesting in marketing. Who do you love and why? I know a lot of people use this example, but I think they're a perfect example of longevity. And that's Mm. Dove. The Unilever products with the Dove brand has, and you think back their their real campaign with real beauty, that started in 2004. So I I have a real love for brands that stick to what they do and do it best and watch them evolve. Versus switching agencies every few years, switching campaigns. I guess I'm just a um, kind of a stickler for I like seeing people do things good and sticking with that. If that's your lane, you know, and that's what you do well, that's okay. And I know as marketers, we're always looking for the next big thing or how to change around. Dove to me has they've evolved their campaign. They do fantastic videos. They've taken it into the digital world with body image and self esteem. They've gone in. I love the video that they did, I think just a year and a half ago, it was a reverse Mm. selfie because young women are put so many filters and change, you know, what they do when they're taking their selfies and they reversed it back, like started with this beautiful image and reversed back to the real person. And I think they've done a way to connect with women of all ages and they've expanded their product lines. I'd say that's the other piece too, right? It's not just about what you do. It's they're smart about their merchandising. They're smart about their media. They bring it all together in a real holistic kinds of campaigns and ones that have resonated with a lot of women and men. And they were really early when you mentioned what, whatever year that um, you said, what, what year? 2004. Yeah. I mean, I, I well, think well ahead was... of kind of, um, you know, that's almost become a common marketing strategy for uh, lifestyle brands in, in today's environment, but they right. well ahead of the curve. That's uh, a, a great example. I was mm-hmm. glad that you did. We, we so often hear the same brands repeated and that's a new one and, and such a, a good one. So thanks for sharing. Well, Lynn, you know, for our listeners, if you've not had a slider, Go uh, to the White Castle website and find your local White Castle to uh, pick up a Crave case and uh, experience a slider, even if it's on your bucket list or, or not. It is time. Or the freezer aisle. I yeah. have to. Or the freezer aisle if you're not close to a restaurant. Yeah. So if you're in California, I think is a state with currently, uh, that's the best option for them. So yeah, head to the head to the freezer aisle. I told you, I always forget because it's so easy <laughs> for me to go get a, get a Crave case. But we really appreciate your time and we look forward to uh, watching what's to come with the great white castle brand and thanks for sharing some insights with us today thank you billy great talking to you thank you lynn